Good morning. Um, I'll just say a few words while money gets set up there. Um, wow, those pictures were something, weren't they? I want to thank everyone who participated and helped get that going. It feels like we've had a almost a complete worship experience already. We invited Monty Garber to be here with us this morning, and thanks for coming, Monty. <clears throat> we'll, and by way of introduction, just um, I'll say that Monty lives here in Lancaster with uh, he's with Marcy and their two daughters, uh, with his wife Marcy and their two daughters Maddie and Maya. They attend Community Mennonite Church. They live over by uh, their neighbors with Chuck and Sue Waterfield. Um, let me just say that Monty is a great cook. I can attest to that. He's also one of, got one of the most incredibly broad knowledge, or one of the people that I know that's got the most incredibly broad knowledge of music um, and sometimes shares that with, with us. Uh, he, he says his favorite kind of music is, the, is whenever uh, his, one of his daughters is playing. And I don't, are they here? Yeah. yeah? Oh, there they are. <laughs> Maddie and Marcy are sitting back there with us. I was just going to say that um, any of you who uh, enjoyed Lancaster Mennonite's production of Fiddler on the, Fiddler on the Roof, uh, Maddie was the fiddler. So, or Maya, excuse me, Maya was the fiddler. Maya, I'm sorry. <laughs> Maddie is leading music at Community this morning, so she's not here. Monty has worked for over 25 years in agricultural water quality production and natural habitat restoration. He's currently employed by Stroud, by Stroud Water Research Center as their watershed restoration coordinator. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And a lot of, we'll, we'll be hearing more about that work, but, I, but a lot of that work, I think, involves working with farmers, drawing on their, their own knowledge, encouraging, cajoling, and putting together a variety of state, federal, and private funding to so that they can be able to use the best possible practices along their, water, along their streams. Before working at Stroud, Monty was also worked at, had worked at the, uh, or most recently had worked at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. So, you can see when I first came across this term, watershed discipleship, why my mind went to Monty. And I'd just like to say a word, bear with me, if watership discipleshed comes out, <laughs> Bear with me. Uh, that seems to be the first thing that comes out of my mouth when I say that. So if I say watership, I mean watershed. <laughs> um, Mennonite Church Creation Care Committee's new curriculum that they're just putting out is, uh, I found to be very inspiring. Uh, Marlisa is on the Creation Care Committee, and so she was talking about it. I was able to get a heads up on it and look at it, and it's really um, pretty good reading. So, and I would, I hope that someday we can use it as a Sunday school curriculum for some from, for some class. But in the meantime, if anyone, if any of you feels inclined to do so, Google the Creation Care Net, uh, Mennonite Church Creation Care Network, and and um, look at the curriculum because it's really it's really quite good. Watershed discipleship is a concept that I think Elaine Enns and Ched Myers came up with. And as I'm thinking about it over, as I'm thinking it over during the last few weeks, trying to capture what it means, what it's all about, um, it turns up in the current issue of Mennonite, the one with Marcus Smucker on the cover. Um, and it, they did a report, the Mennonite was reporting on the Albuquerque Mennonite Church that is wanting to make 
watershed discipleship their mission focus for the coming years. It's, it's a way for them to define the reaching out to the community and how they're re- reaching out. And reflecting on the scriptures that we read today, it reminded me that the biblical writers seemed a whole lot more in touch with their place than what, than what we are and what I often feel. So watershed discipleship includes an emphasis on re-examining our place, as, as uh, Linda already mentioned this morning and as Todd last week talked about, replacement. Um, I've appreciated the emphasis that Todd has put on, uh, on being a parish church, and I think watershed, watershed, the concept of watershed discipleship, putting it in that kind of framework, helps us to, to um, look at ourselves as a neighborhood, as a neighborhood church, that a neighborhood that includes plants and animals and water and people. In the Mennonite article, the Albuquerque Mennonite Church was, was challenged to do restorative justice to all that has been wounded by human development. And several times this month already, we've heard that quote, and Linda said it again this morning, that we can't save the world, but we can save places. And it ends with, we don't know, we, we don't know places that we haven't learned. So we invited you here this morning to help us get to know our place a little bit better. So first of all, just talk a little bit about what you like about watersheds. What's, you know, what do you love about the Chesapeake Bay watershed? What makes you excited when you see a river flowing? Yeah. Well, thank you, Daryl. And I had some thoughts that I was going to start out with to answer his question, but then I saw your bulletin this morning. Could you all pull that out? Uh, I, was, I was really pleased to see uh, uh, two pictures on the cover uh, taken by kids in your congregation. And I get, I get questions a lot about the Chesapeake Bay and the Chesapeake Bay watershed, uh, but really my love is for those small streams that feed the bay. And you have two examples uh, of two beautiful small streams uh, that, that kids in your congregation thought would make good pictures. To me, streams, and, and there are thousands of streams that move their way toward the larger rivers that ultimately feed into the Chesapeake Bay. To me, those strong, small streams are accessible. They're intimate. They are moving and meandering, and they're dynamic. And it's hard for me to see anything else in nature that is more beautiful than a small stream, be it in the woods, be it flowing through a farm, even be it in, in Lancaster County Park. And so I love streams, and I love the streams that feed the Chesapeake Bay. But the, the thing about the Chesapeake Bay that uh, I find most uh, intriguing and impressive is how the Chesapeake Bay, which is one of the largest estuaries in the world, it is the largest estuary in the United States. And an estuary is is a, basically a, a body of water where fresh water from rivers mixes with salt water coming from an ocean, in this case, the Atlantic Ocean. The Chesapeake Bay is one of the most remarkable estuaries in the world because it is so shallow across much of its form and is so slow-moving that the Chesapeake Bay, it's, up, it's like it was almost designed to capture everything that's running off of the land and hold it and use it for the production of animals and plants. That has always been a, a, 
a, a real gift of the Chesapeake Bay. It's taken nutrients and sediment from the land and grown seafood and grown uh, all kinds of crabs and oysters and, and fish. Now that gift of the bay, which is to capture everything that flows into it, is now sort of a liability because we, us humans, us 17 million people that are living in the Chesapeake Bay watershed, and I'll have a picture of that watershed here for you in a moment. There's 17 million of us living around the Chesapeake Bay, which is down here in, in this corner. Now that we're sending so much nitrogen, so much phosphorus, so, so much sediment into the bay, now that ability of it to hold and capture all that stuff is, is a liability for it. So we'll get into that in a bit. I, I think it's amazing that the Ezekiel 47 passage that we read this morning, yeah. it like describes what you just described from yeah. how many years ago. Um, do you have any thoughts or feelings about what, what, what do you think or what do you feel working all your life in, the, in a watershed to find it right there described for you in the Bible? I remember the first time I saw that Ezekiel passage. I don't know how I found it. I don't know who showed it to me, but the first time I read it, I was astonished. It was as if some ancient writer perfectly described what we are all trying to do here in this watershed that's got some problems and has this massive river, the Susquehanna, flowing down through our midst, which is the largest river feeding this Chesapeake Bay. And this, this passage describes what we're working toward. When we get there, when we do all these things in this massive watershed that's ultimately going to clean up the Susquehanna River and the Chesapeake Bay, I think it's going to look a lot like what Ezekiel is describing. So if you've never read that passage before, or if you just kind of heard it this morning, I really encourage you to read it again and to learn it, uh, because I think it is, it's a vision that we could all be using for our work right here in Lancaster County. All right, Monty, let's get more technical. Okay. Um, I've lived all my life without really any idea what a watershed was. Um, how many of you think you could de define watershed? Yeah, we got a, got a few. Some like this, some think they could. Okay. You know, for me, it was like I came driving down the turnpike, and there's this sign, you're entering the watershed, the Chesapeake Bay watershed. It's like, so? Right. <laughs> Little piece of irrelevant information there. So what's a watershed and why does it matter? Right. What is it? Yeah. Well, if you didn't feel confident raising your hand, you would have a lot of co company. When we surveyed people in the Potomac River watershed, which flows right past Washington, D.C. and into the Bay, only 18% of the people we surveyed could accurately describe what a watershed is. And yet it is so critical to the work we're trying to do. So it's, it's an important concept. And basically, it's very simple. A watershed, and you, you all probably know it, you just don't yet know how you might verbalize it if you were asked on the street by a reporter. A watershed is basically that area of land, and it's land that we're talking about here. It's that area of land that drains into a specific water body. And that water body or waterway could be a small stream, it could be a river the size of the Conestoga. It could be a river the size of the Susquehanna. Or it could be the Chesapeake Bay watershed. So actually, we're all part of multiple watersheds that are sort of nested. And so I wanted to show you this image of the Chesapeake Bay watershed. And we are... You know, that sort of reminds me of uh, the pictures in biology of a human body and their... 
yeah. and, and the blood vessels. Okay, here's a picture, and sorry, I'm getting my technology figured out here. Uh, this is a picture of the Chesapeake Bay watershed, 64,000 square miles from Cooperstown, New York, all the way up there down to the very bottom of Virginia. And so this entire area that's within that dark blue line, if rain falls anywhere in, within that blue line, it's going to flow ultimately to the Chesapeake Bay. And so that's the Chesapeake Bay watershed. And I put this, I put this arrow to indicate roughly where we are here in Lancaster County. And again, the Susquehanna River, which the Conestoga flows into, is the, ver is the largest by far tributary to the Chesapeake Bay. 50% of the fresh water in the Chesapeake is coming from us, from the Susquehanna River. And let me just show you uh, another image here. This is Lancaster County as if we didn't break it up by school district or township or municipality, but if we looked at Lancaster County uh, from a standpoint of watersheds. And so these are the major watersheds, the land within Lancaster County that flows to specific rivers and streams. And almost all of these streams ultimately flow to the Chesapeake Bay. Just a tiny, tiny bit of Lancaster County flows to the Delaware Bay. So somewhere, each of you, if you're all from Lancaster County, I don't want to assume you all are, but most of you would be in one of these watersheds, the, Con the Conestoga, the Chickies, the Octorero. You get, you get the idea here. Now, uh, this is the Conestoga, okay? And this is where we are right now. There, that first arrow is pointing to where Lancaster City resides and where this church is, okay? So we're at the, near the bottom end of the Conestoga. This is where I grew up uh, in Lidditz, right on Lidditz Run, which is now one of the real success stories in watershed restoration. If you weren't aware of that, Lidditz... The borough of Lidditz and the township of Warwick have been doing amazing things to bring Lidditz run back. So that's a story in and of itself. You know, it, it occurs to me um, when you're talking about water, a, a watershed is yep. water running that, downstream, right? Yep. That um, we read this morning, we read uh, the golden rule. You should treat other people like you would like to be treated. Or, and you can also talk about treating your neighbor as yourself and that kind of thing. And it, it occurred to me as I was thinking about this that half of my neighbors live downstream from me. And I would like to, probably should treat them like I would like people upstream from me to be treating me, right? So right. don't want to dump things in. Can you, okay, so can you give us an idea, like a, a real specific idea of what happens when a raindrop forms in the clouds up and hit, comes right. down and hits our roof or our parking lot or our patio? Yeah. Good point. So, and there, there'd be two different pathways for that raindrop, right? If it hits your roof or your parking lot, it's likely that that raindrop is connected to the storm drain system of Lancaster City. And that storm drain system has got some real challenges. Like many cities in the eastern part of the United States, we have an old storm drain system here that's connected to our sewage treatment plant. So that raindrop would make its way into a storm drain around the building here somewhere, but before it gets to the Conestoga River, it would hit the sewage treatment plant of Lancaster. And we're under some real pressure from the EPA right now, the city of Lancaster, to separate or to, to keep our rain from going into our sewage treatment plant. Because unfortunately, when we get a lot of rain, like Thursday and Friday, 
it overwhelms the sewage treatment plant. So raw sewage is flowing into the Conestoga. Not a good thing. However, if this raindrop might hit some open area that's on your property, say you've got a small strip of ground or a tree uh, plot, okay, that raindrop is going to make its way down into the ground, and it might take years. It might take a decade to flow into the aquifer and make its way to the Conestoga. And this whole green infrastructure plan that the city of Lancaster is working on is really trying to get more of our raindrops to make that second route, bypassing the sewage treatment plant and instead going into the groundwater and to the Conestoga. So it's an interesting thing that we're working on here in the city. I think that's pretty interesting, but it's also, inter it's also true that Monty and I have been accused of talking too much about compost and sewage and that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> worms. Worms, yeah. yeah. That. Um, can you uh, talk just a little bit about your work? What, do you, what is it that you do? Yeah. Because I, I find it hopeful. I have the opportunity to work with primarily farmers. Not just farmers, uh, uh, some rural landowners as well, but mostly farmers. I worked for many years at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation and recently moved to the Stroudwater Research Center. Let me just show you a bit about that place. Uh, the Stroudwater Research Center is close by. It's down in Chester County in Avondale, so mushroom country. And it is one of the world's preeminent stream freshwater ecology research stations, which many of us have never heard about Stroud. And yet it's been there for over 40 years doing amazing research on how streams work. This is uh, a new building that, and I have the pleasure of working in this building. This is a lead platinum building, meaning it achieves almost the highest level of green and uh, design and building you can get. One of the interesting place, things about this is that we designed this building to generate no more runoff than if there was a forest on this property. So, and we do that a number of ways, including a lot of rain gardens like this one. There are rain gardens and wetlands surrounding this building. And, and, and so the, the rain drops that you're talking about, Daryl, We've done everything we can to keep them out of our septic system and going into one of these systems here. Anyway, the work that I do, it, the work at Stroud is primarily about science. We have 11 PhDs working on very, very specific issues related to how streams work. I work for a restoration project within Stroud where we are working with farmers to help them implement pollution reduction practices to try to keep manure and fertilizer and soil on their farms instead of running off in the streams. And the other thing we do is we plant a lot of trees on these farms. Trees like this, this is a little northern red oak. And we plant thousands of trees like this, not all over the farms. We're not talking about reforesting the entire Lancaster County, but we strategically place these trees between farms and between development and roads and, and, and cities between there and the streams. We plant these right along the streams in what we call forested buffers. Can you talk a little bit about why? why what's, what's important about trees? Yeah. Well, what, what would we have seen here if we had been one of the first settlers in Lancaster County? European settlers, I should say. We would have, what's that? Yeah, exactly. We would have seen trees everywhere. It would have been shaded. 
we could, if we were a squirrel, we probably could have gone the entire breadth of length of not just Lancaster County, but Pennsylvania, and not touched the ground, except for getting across that Susquehanna River. And so the streams that flow through Lancaster County have for thousands of years been flowing through unbroken forests. And when our ancestors got here, my ancestors, Daryl's ancestors, many of your ancestors, one of the first things they did was cut down the trees. They wanted to farm, right? And our families, our extended families, have gotten a start in this country through the farming that Lancaster County supported. We did that by cutting down the trees. But when we cut down the trees, something happened to the streams. We cut off their food supply because leaves like this are the start of the food chain in our streams. We removed their air conditioning system because the shade was gone, and so the streams started heating up. We, we took away the living stream banks that, that held together because of the roots of these trees. But probably the most important thing we did is when we cut down all the trees and the roots withered, we removed this giant carbon-rich tea bag, if you want to, or, or sponge, that fed our streams this steady diet of dissolved organic carbon. And that carbon is the food for what all these critters in all our streams really need to survive. They need cool water, they need shaded conditions, and they need a lot of leaves and carbon. And so when we cut down all the trees, in, an, in a few short years, we remove the life support system of our streams. And so we're just trying to strategically replant these forests so that we bring this life support system back for our streams. So, so what, are the, what does it matter? What, what, so what if we remove their life support system and you know, we, we lose a few species? Well, I would, if I could bring Dirk back up here and have him read that short piece about when a single bird... So when we lose a single bird species, uh, I thought that was pretty poetic. Do you want to come up and read that? I can read it from here. Okay. You and your like-minded friends have better learned to respect the worship which Earth offers because if for any reason one species of bird no longer sings, one lake of water no longer sparkles, one forest of trees no longer claps its hands, God will want to know why. Ecology is doxology. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to go beyond that. I will just say that for me, and I'm sure for many of you, uh, life is sacred, and we're talking about not just human life, but we're talking about this entire rich network of plants and animals that we interact with that form this incredibly diverse biosphere that surrounds our planet. And... Yes, when we lose one species here or there, we may not notice it. But taken as a whole, and as, as this loss of species might accelerate under some of these new climate scenarios that are before us, we not only lose a, a lot of, of meaning for this planet, but we're also losing our own life support system. So for me, it's, it's pretty... Uh, uh, well, those are our challenging uh, thoughts to drive action in my life. 
a couple of years ago, <clears throat> The Economist magazine declared that we were now living in the age, in the Anthropocene age, or as they said, the age of man. When humans, this is, a, this is a quote from the magazine, when humans have become a force of nature reshaping the planet on a geological scale, but at a far faster than geological speed. I think that's a word we should all learn, and, and one of its offshoots, which is anthropocentrism. Now, anthropocentrism is the belief that humans are the most important thing and, and viewing our world through an exclusively human perspective. But it's sort of like a, a kid grabbing a toy and saying, mine, mine, this is mine, you can't have it. I can do whatever I want with it. And that's pretty much the opposite of the underlying understanding of the psalm that was read this morning, Psalm 65, and that the skit referred to as well. It talks about the hills and the pastures and the critters and everybody shouting and singing praises to God together with us. And when we think about the current Chesapeake Bay situation and the watershed discipleship and what that might mean, and when we think about the anthropocentric way that our culture has viewed and treated it, it seems like it might be Jer Jeremiah might be talking to us as well in the passage that, that we read when Jeremiah said, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals, which is what we've been doing in our watershed management. They shall live in parched places, but those who trust in the Lord shall be like a tree planted by the water. Manny, you've helped us show us a little bit about what happens when we are the results of living and thinking anthropocentrically when we trust in mere mortals. And you've also talked about steps that, uh, that we as a community can take as we try to take on a mindset that is the opposite of that anthropocentrism. And I, uh, next week we'll also be talking a little bit more about um, some of the responses that we have in our congregation, which will be fun and exciting as well, I think. So thank you very much. I hope that we can continue exploring the uh, concept of watership discipleship. Thank you for helping us get to know our place a little bit better. It's been helpful. Great pleasure to be here. Thank you, Daryl.